Um, can you indicate by the lifting of your hands if you had some New Year's resolution in January at the beginning of the year? If you came up with some goals for the year, what you want to do, whatever you call them, just lift your hand. I want to see you. I want to see it. I want to see it. Great. Probably 45 or uh, well, 75% of us, uh, we came up with some goals for the year. Still on the same question, I'll ask you the next question. How many of those goals are still alive today, beating up in your heart today, excited about them? How many of you are still feeling excited about those goals? Okay, okay, okay. Thanks for being truthful. <laughs> All right, in the beginning of every year, a lot of people come together by themselves or with their families or spouses. They put down what they call New Year's resolutions. They put down some goals, and this is what we're going to achieve financially. This is how we're going to go about redoing our lounge, redoing our bathroom, whatever it is that you've put down to do. And I think it's a great thing to do. And I want to encourage you to do that from time to time. Because the, the more you have goals down, the more chances of you seeing them coming to pass. And it, uh, when you look at research, people who have goals set for their future and for what they're about to do, they tend to have a more fulfilled life. As compared to those who really don't have anything planned for the future. The only unfortunate thing is that a lot of the resolutions experience a natural death. Said to say that some by now, end of January, some of us have forgotten about those goals. I don't know where you wrote them at the beginning of the year. I want you to revisit them and bring them before God in prayer. Some were written down in journals. Some were written down on these dream, dream charts in your bedroom. Some were only written on their hearts. If your dream is in your heart right now, I want you to transfer it from the heart to a paper somewhere so that you're able to see it every time that you open a book. Now, resolutions and goals basically indicate to us what we should focus on in any given season, in any given time. When you have written out goals and resolutions, they'll tell you what you can do and what you can't do. They become a campus in your life. Now, if you don't have any of those written down, you might find that your life is lived day by day. Whatever comes my way comes. Whatever happens, happens. Now, today I want to add to your New Year's resolutions. I want to give you one more resolution that you can pen down when you go home today. And I've entitled my message, In Pursuit of Spiritual Maturity. In Pursuit of Spiritual Maturity. I want you to understand that every child of God exists in either of three states. You can either exist in a growing state, or you exist in a stagnation state, or you exist in a regression state. Yes, you've had resolutions about everything about your life, but this morning I want to challenge you to adopt this resolution of pursuing maturity in your walk with God. If you are growing 
If you are growing as a child of God, there are certain things that you see in your life. And for a moment, I want to just highlight only four areas that indicate whether you are a growing Christian or you are in the regression mode or you're just stagnant. When water is stagnant, I have a pool in my house. When my filtration system is not working for two or three days, you start looking at the bottom of the pool, there's stuff that starts accumulating. And before you know it grows up the walls and the water turns green. And the greener the water becomes, the guys in the pool industry, they'll tell you there's a point in time where you cannot do anything about that water. You have to drain the pool. Because the water is so bad, you can chuck in there as many chlorines and tablets and whatever, nothing will change. Do you know that some people are in that state spiritually? Stagnation. When somebody's growing in their walk with the Lord, number one, they're more inclined to pray before consulting other people. This is a measure of whether you're growing or not. How inclined, how much are you inclined to seek in the face of God before you pick the phone to your closest friend, to your girlfriend, to your wife, to your husband? Number two, those who are growing in their walk with the Lord, they're getting better in dealing with the flesh. They're no longer prone to best of anger, selfishness, covetousness, and all those issues that are associated with the flesh. Look at your life. How best have you been dealing with the same issue? Or you're going round and round on the same mountain. You've come to a point where you've said, this is who I am. My mom is like that. My grandmama is like that. That's how we do things. I've got a short fuse. It's an indication that you're not growing. Number three, the growing Christian is less suspicious of God's control over their life. In other words, it's easier for them to surrender and say, Father, wherever you send me, I go. What you ask me to do, I will do. If you want me to cut off this relationship, I will cut it off. If you want me to go to Ignite on a Friday night when my friends are out clubbing, I will go to Ignite. They are more comfortable with God's control over their lives. They are no longer saying this walk with God is stopping me from having joy. Where are you at? A growing Christian enjoys more things of the Spirit. They enjoy spending time in the house of God. When the preacher goes beyond 45 minutes, they, st- they, they don't just look at the time. They're like, preacher, go on. I'm getting something in my spirit, man. Amen. Hallelujah. When you come to church and you constantly look at your time, yeah. is that an indication that there's stagnation or you're regressing? Go there. Go there. Shall I go there, Pastor Paul? <laughs> because next week I won't be here. I'm going to shake the tree for the last time. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But this is the key. What are you, what's happening in your life as an indicator? You see, when you're driving a car and you see your dashboard lights go boom, indicating that there's heat in the engine. If you're driving a Ford Cougar, that you see stuff happens in your heart. You're like, Lord, what is happening to me? 
But when there's a sign on the indicator of your spirit man telling you that something is wrong with the engine, pull over and do something about it. Our problem is we see our engines backfiring and we do nothing about it and we think it will just sort itself out. They don't do dagger. <laughs> Things don't just happen by themselves. You've got to make them happen. You see, maturity can only be achieved by somebody who is growing in their walk with God. The Bible is full of scriptures alluding to this whole issue of growing in our maturity in God. Galatians 4 verse 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. In other words, until the reign of Christ has taken over your heart. Until you wholly and entirely embrace the, his doctrines. This is what Paul was saying to the Galatians. That my desire, and I fight for this. So that I can see Christ being fully formed in your heart. Until you become wholly imbued by his spirit. Ephesians 4 verse 13 until this is when Paul was talking about the fivefold ministry what they do to the body of Christ equipping saints for the works of ministry now verse 13 says here until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God as we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ as we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ the stature to be attained to was that of Christ. In other words, Christ is a benchmark. You see, you can look up to me, but I'm just human. That is why a lot of people fall off when the man of God falls off the bandwagon. Because their eyes were focused on this MOG. Their eyes were focused on this man of God, not knowing that this man of God is prone to weaknesses. But here the Bible says here, we need to mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ, not the stature of Prophet Banibane. Because when we grow to the stature of Christ, he is a benchmark in moral character. Back in the day, they used to have a Ford car called the benchmark. Do you know the benchmark? Okay, I'm dating myself. But anyway, so Christ is the benchmark. The measure to be reached was Christ, not Paul. Paul could have said to the stature of my life. No, he says here, measure of the stature of Christ. He is the benchmark. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12. You've been believers so long, now that you ought to be teaching others. It's almost like it's, it's a given that the older you grow, the mature you become in Christ, you should be able to impact something to the next generation. Yeah. Because it's here, yeah, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Some of us, we take pride in telling people that I got born again in 1993. But when I look at your life, when I look at my life, is it in line with the number of years that I spent in the house of God? Because you see, you can go into the house of God and remain immature in your walk with God. In my house, I have a three-year-old son and a seven-year-old daughter. 
If Bernice, who is seven years old, would still behave in the same way that Andrew, who is three, something would be wrong. The older you are in the house of God, the more fruit we must see in your walk with God. Hallelujah. Now it says here, instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. This is my question. Where are you? Are you able to take account of the growth of your knowledge in the word of God? Some of us were still depending on scriptures that we memorized right on the onset of our salvation. Has there been addition to your quiver, addition to your knowledge of the word of God? Now this morning I want to share with you four things that people who pursue spiritual maturity are prone to doing. Just four things. It's not exhaustive, but enough for today. Praise the Lord. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. That will be our anchor scripture. I'm trying to preach very quick because I might not have a pick of the cherry again. You know, whenever, you know, back in the days, Pastor Paul like, Michael, you can just go on. You know, you have next week. So next week we'll be in Pretoria East. So just be gracious with me today. Philippians 3 verse 1. Finally, my brethren, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Very powerful statement. There are times where God would want to repeat something over and over and over so that we can get it. But what we do sometimes, we hear the same scripture and we say, I've heard that before. But what I've realized in my life, whenever I read a scripture that I've known so many times, and I read it with an open heart, there's always a fresh revelation for that moment. There's always something new that God brings up. Now, how open are you to, to hear stuff being repeated to you? Verse 2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilators. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That's a very packed portion of scriptures. Because Paul alludes to three things. He says the spirit, Christ Jesus and the flesh. These are things that you've got to deal with as you grow in the Lord. He says that though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Have you ever heard of people saying, don't you know that I'm a Zulu person? I'm Zulu. What does that have to do with our interaction? There are people who base their value on where they're coming from and their tribe and their traditions. That doesn't count. Because Paul here is bringing up, he says, I'm the guy. When it comes to all these things here, I did all of them. I am at the top of the cream. Now here he says, but what things were gained to me, that's verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead not that I have already attained or am already perfect, perfected but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of, him, of me Paul says here that I might apprehend that which Christ has apprehended me for. You see, there is a reason why you were snatched from the peace of hell. There is a reason why Christ came and pulled you from where you were. And it's for us to find out and to say, I want to embrace that and become what God has called me to do. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Sorry, I think I need to read, read verse 18 again. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Now, the first point that I want to highlight today an activity and something that you find in a life that is in pursuit of spiritual maturity is that they get rid of anything that competes with Christ. Those of you who are pursuing maturity in their walk with God, they get rid of anything that competes with Christ. Because when you look at Paul, he looked at his life and he says, I've attained the highest state in this walk. From the time that Paul experienced salvation, he realized that certain things he had achieved in life fell short of the greatness that he found in Christ Jesus. In his BC days, before Christ's days, there were things that gave him value in society. There were things that when he looked at, he looked at himself as valuable and somebody who is worth to be listened to. But when he came to the knowledge of Jesus, he realized that some of those things were vain. What are you pursuing today? What has been crowding Christ out of your life? Now, in order for, for Paul to grow in his knowledge of Christ, he had to rightly name those things. And this morning, our starting point is to rightly name certain things in our lives and call them as they are and call them this is a hindrance in my walk with God. He named them rubbish in certain versions called cow dung. He called them good for nothing. Was there, not, was there anything wrong with almost as, as being pure as a Pharisee, was there anything wrong with attaining the highest level of qualification in being a Pharisee? Was there anything wrong with him being circumcised on the earth day? Was there anything wrong with him achieving all these accolades? There was nothing wrong with that. But in comparison to what he was seeing in Jesus, he said these things are not good for what, what I'm doing. He refused certain things to compete with Christ, his ancestry, his nationality. There are people who tell you, 
don't get married to certain people who come from certain countries. But the Bible says when we are in Christ, there's neither female, there's neither male, there's neither Jew, there's neither Greek. We are all one under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today there are people who take so much pride in the name of the company they work for. But what they don't realize, they don't own the company, they work for the company. <laughs> I work for this and this and this. It's a blue chip company. It's a multinational company. We are all over the globe. So what? Do you have a portion in the shares? No. What do they give you after 12 months? Just a 13th check. That is if you are blessed, 13 check. Sometimes not 13 check. But you still go around boasting about the blue chip company you work for. If it was your company, a different story. I'm just saying, let's prioritize things. Let's put them where they really belong. What is competing for space in your life? You see, when you have Christ, the hope of glory, you don't need any other attachment. You see, there are people who draw value from the type of cars they drive. I was thinking about this. Let me break into my space. I drive a Ford Cougar. <laughs> but I bless the Lord because it's the 1.5. It's after the issues. <laughs> However, it, it sends certain things in your heart. Right? Now, I was saying to myself, imagine if my value was attached to this car. When I bought the car, I felt more important. I felt like I'm part of the certain class. And then all of a sudden, there's issues with the car. You'll be so demoralized because all of a sudden, your value is up in, in, in flames. <laughs> this is very important. I mean, we're laughing, but it's very key. Your intrinsic value is not in what you have. It's who you are in Christ. Give me Christ, I am valuable. Glory be to God. There are people who tell you, my kid, he's, he's a good swimmer. Their value is in what their kids do. And then they stand on the, on the poolside, they shout at the kid for the kid to go faster and faster. Not for the kid, but for them. Don't do that to your kid. She doesn't need that. You, are, you can't even swim, for that matter. And you're there pushing your kid to go faster and faster. Glorify God by the fact that she can at least swim. Your intrinsic value is not in what's happening around you, because that can be taken away in a moment. For me, they can take away everything, but don't take Christ from me. Because when I have Christ, I have all I need. I can accumulate the wealth again. I can buy that house again. Can we go deeper? In Matthew, there's a story of the sower who went and spread seed. And some seed fell on good ground, some on thorny ground. And I'll talk about the one that fell on thorny ground. Matthew 13, verse 22. You won't find it up on the slides. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the law of wealth. 
So fruit, so no fruit is produced. What keeps you awake every night? We hear the word, but the word gets choked up. And that is the very thing that is competing against Christ. One thing that I've realized, Christ is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Christ is the one that will sit on the white horse on that day when he comes back. But when it comes to competing in your heart, he doesn't compete. He simply steps out. He waits for you because he says here, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens, I'll come in and dine with him. He waits for you to fight for your heart and say, This heart belongs to Jesus. This life belongs to Jesus. What has been competing with Christ? Let's go elementary. Basics. Television. Television. The average person wastes between 15 and 40 hours a week watching series on TV. How much time do we spend on TV? Sometimes we watch stuff that harm us. Sleeping. Yes, sleeping. There are people who love their sleep so much that they battle to wake up in the morning. Can I get a testimony out there? You see, sufficient sleep is necessary for health, but some people just obtain too much of it. If you are getting nine hours every night, that's more than enough. Eating. There are people who spend too much time on the, on the dining table. They just spend too much time on the dining table. Only spend the time that's necessary chowing. Working. They are workaholics. Some people devote more time on their job than needed. You're afraid to tell your boss, I need to go home and be with my wife. I need to go home because it's my day to do homework with my kids. I need to go home. It's my day to take my kids to bed. We cannot tell our bosses that. Evaluate whether you can spend fewer hours at work. You see, there's a difference between your work and your job. Your job is what you are paid to do. Your work is what you're called to do. They can fire you from your job, but they can't fire you from your work. This is very important. So let's not mistake the two. Let's not confuse the job and the work. You, I mean, you are so blessed if your work and your job are tied together. Reading. There's nothing wrong with reading. But some readers spend far much time reading stuff that does not benefit their spirit man. Stuff that cried, crowds out Christ. You see, there are people who say, I will not miss my morning news. But you can afford to miss your morning prayer. Let's think about it. Sports. We all need some daily activities to keep us fit. But there are times where sports can come into your life to a point where you fail to prioritize Christ. Either playing or watching. It's okay to watch that, that game till midnight. But it's not okay for me to wake up too early to go to church. 
I'm just talking about priorities. What is competing with Christ in your heart? That's point number one. Number two, have complete faith in Christ. These are basics and fundamentals. When you look at verse 9, Paul says here, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in who? Read with me the word. That I might have, but that which is through faith in? Faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You see, your spiritual maturity is not driven by do's and don'ts, but by complete faith in Jesus. How much faith do we have in Christ? You see, so simply coming to church does not equate to spiritual maturity. It's about what you do with what you get when you come through those doors. Because demons come to church. The difference is the outcome of what we do between us because demons also trample before Jesus. But their fruit is not of God. For us, we also trample before Jesus. We believe in Jesus. Our fruit glorifies God. Glory be to God. So simply coming to church does not equate to spiritual maturity. Another issue, serving in church does not equate to maturity. You see, you can serve without being mature, but you can't be mature without serving. And I repeat that. You can serve without being mature and you become a headache in your team. But you can't be mature without serving. Why am I saying that? It's an aberration. Those who had ignited, remember that. You see, when you're mature and you're walking with God, something triggers in your heart that says, I cannot just come to the house of God and do nothing. I cannot just come and just warm the pew. I'm going to contribute in what God is doing. So it is possible to serve and not being mature, but a mature believer will contribute to what God is doing. Glory be to God. Because when it comes to our works, they fall short of the righteousness required by God. That is why I say you need to have complete faith in Jesus. Is your faith now focused on your abilities and what you can do? The, the Bible says a horse can be ready for war, but victory comes from God. If you are a student today, you can be ready for exams, but still fail. You can be ready for an interview and still not get the job. Therefore, we cannot count on our abilities. We need God to come and grace what we're doing. Talking about our own righteousness, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. He says here, but we are all like unclean thing, an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. The focus there is that our, our, our righteousness are like filthy rags. That is why we have we've got to come to a place of having faith in Jesus. You see, when you have faith in Jesus, it enables you to produce fruit. Because when you are striving and you get into the works mode, it's almost like expecting to hear a mango tree groaning to produce mangoes. 
Do you hear what I'm saying there? When a tree is planted aright, when a tree is having enough nutrition, there's light, there's water, the soil is great, that tree does not need to go into labor to produce fruit. Because it does the natural thing, you simply see a fruit coming forth. Just like you as a child of God, when you are positioned aright in Christ, you don't need to get into X because fruit simply comes. It's a way of life. Glory be to God. It's a way of life. John 15 verse 4 says, They abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. When we get into works, we detach ourselves from Christ. But when you abide in Christ, when your faith is only in Christ, then it becomes easy to do what God has called you to do. Glory be to God. Number three. desire to know Christ better each year. It's as simple as that. Desire to know Christ each year better. That's the growth in your knowledge of Christ. Paul says here in verse 10 that I may know him. You can hear his heart cry that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You see, Paul desired nothing more than knowing Christ, having an intimate knowledge and understanding of who Christ is. We need to have a brighter revelation of Christ. When we walk closer and closer with Jesus, our understanding of him gets better and better. You see, when you are wearing a white cloth that has some spots on it, when you are in front of a light that is probably 15 meters away, you will not readily see that there's a spot on what you're wearing. But as we get closer and closer to the brightness of the source of the light, all of a sudden you realize, I'm actually not as clean as I thought I was. That is what happens when we're maturing in our walk with God. You start realizing, it was okay yesterday. Why is my spirit grieved about what I've just done? It is because the Spirit of God is telling you where you are going, there's, there's, there's more holiness required. There's more separation required. There's more sanctification required. And then God will start highlighting stuff that was okay yesterday, but because you're growing closer to Him, He starts saying, it was okay then, but because you're getting closer to me, that cannot come closer. Are you experiencing that in your life? Are you seeing that in your life? It was okay to, to just throw a, a blue lie back then. You wouldn't feel much in your heart. not saying it is right. You didn't feel much conviction in your heart. But today, are you feeling something happening in your spirit, man, as a result of your closeness with Jesus? God says, behold, I am holy. And whoever comes to me must consider me holy. Oh, we are in the state of regression. You see, when you're talking about movies, you graduate if you're not careful. The stuff that you watch, you used to watch 13 PG yesterday, three years ago. But today you have graduated to 18 in a couple of alphabets in front of 18. And nothing happens in our hearts. Could it be there's regression in our spirit, man? Our prayers are becoming heavier by the day. But I believe that's not our portion. God is calling us to a higher dimension. God is saying, come yonder. There is more where I am. 
our hearts must crave for more of him. We need to give Jesus more attention during the day. Sometimes our Jesus is left in our prayer closet. He's left in our bedrooms where we prayed, wherever. Maybe you prayed in the shower. It doesn't really matter. You left Jesus there. And right through the day, there is no Jesus involved in your life. And this morning on a challenge, you take Jesus with you. Involve him when you're seated behind that laptop doing your work. Glory be to God. You see, if there's one area that believers are allowed to boast in, it is their knowledge of God. The Bible says here in Jeremiah 9, 24, but let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises long kindness, loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. Hmm. Let's go to the last point. Don't settle. Believers who are pursuing spiritual maturity don't settle. They don't settle for less. Verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. He said, I press on. Not that I have attained it. You see, we need to deal with this issue of the arrived mentality. Where you feel, I have arrived. I have done that before. No wonder why we end up talking about testimonies that took place six years ago. What about the current? What about today? What about the zeal to reach for the lost? What about the hours we're spending today in prayer? Oh, we are in that, in that portion where we're saying, I used to pray three hours a day, non-stop. I used to speak in tongues for a long, long time. Used to. What about today? Don't settle for less, child of God. There's more in God. Now it says here, that I may hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. The positive, the strong, everything. Yes, we draw from our past, but we don't focus on the past. We are not like those who are sitting, how train is going towards this way, they're seated looking where it's coming from. We're not like that. One sure way to stagnate in your spiritual maturity is having the arrived mentality. And Paul was very much aware of this. And he says, I will deal with this issue. He told himself, it's not like I have arrived. It's not like I've attained. Glory be to God. You see, I want you to understand something. When it comes to the things of God, the problem is not with the source. The problem is with the recipient. As far as the source is concerned, the more pressure you put on the source, the more you get out of it. The, the question this morning is, how big is your container? How big is your craving for God? How big is your desire for His glory? How big is your need to see the miraculous in your family to happening? We settle for Panadol. We settle for visiting the doctor. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we stop there, there is something wrong with our walk with God. Because he says, I am the Lord that heals you of all your diseases. We've got to press in and say, Lord, I believe your word. He says, you lay hands upon the sick and the sick shall recover. 
Where are you settled today? The Bible says before he does things on earth, he reveals them to his prophets, his servants. We are a prophetic people. We can say, Lord, I am tired of being surprised of my stuff happening. Can you please show me before stuff happens? Speak to me about my children. Do you know that if you are not careful about your children, you'll be surprised by stuff happening in their lives? But when you pay attention to your child and you pray over your child, you speak the word over their, their lives, God will speak to you about your children. What has God been saying to you about your wife? What has God been saying to you about your husband? What has God been saying to you about your workplace, about your business? This is what I'm talking about here. Don't settle for the norm. Somebody's style of life does not have to be your life. The fact that somebody did not make it in your workplace does not mean you're not going to make it. You see, we settle because our eyes are focused around what is happening around us. And we get conditioned in our spirit, man, to believe that this is all there is in life. But there is more to life. Glory be to God. Jeremiah 29 verse 12. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. We need to have this spiritual stubbornness where we're saying I'm not going to let go until I see the hand of God. I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm looking for a Jacob this morning who says I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go until something changes in my situation. Jacob was tired of running. Jacob was tired and he was afraid. And the angel of the Lord met up with him and they fought right through the night. I'm believing God for believers who will wrestle with God right through their nights saying I will not let go. I will not backslide. I'm not going to curse you because I know you are a faithful God. You are able to come through for me. Hallelujah. Do you feel me this morning? There is more where this thing is coming from. But God is saying there's no space. Nobody wants it. I can do this for you, but you don't seem like you want it. How desperate are you for a breakthrough in your life? You see, when you are desperate for a breakthrough, you will go without food and spending time in his presence. I know some people say, I can't fast. Fasting, I can't. It's not for me. That's okay. That's where you are. But one day when stuff comes in your life, that statement got to change. To say, I will seek his face. You go to Isaiah 58 verse 8 that says, is this not the type of fasting that I've commanded you to do? Fasting that will bring breakthroughs in your life. Why are we settling today? Glory be to God. Don't settle for less. And this is what I want to share with us. These are issues that you find in your life. That is pursuing spiritual maturity. The first one we said, you get rid of stuff that competes with Christ. Secondly, you have complete faith in Christ, not in what you can do. Thirdly, you desire to know Christ. As Paul says, that I might know him. That I might yada him. Into him see, into me see. That I might see him, that I might know him. And lastly, we don't settle. Glory be to God. Let's stand on our feet.